Philippians chapter 1. We've been working our way into the introduction of this book anyway, and we're, we're going to be in chapter 1 today, probably verses 3 to 13. But before we get there, I just want to mention, we, as we talked last week, the book of Colossians is intentionally written to diffuse the false teachers that were springing up in that area. And one of the words that's used eight times is the word fullness. And fullness is offered to us in a myriad of different ways. Advertisements, if you don't have this, you just not quite have what you need. And so it can be as far as even a mop. You watch an advertisement for a mop and they'll tell you, you don't have the right mop until you have this mop. And then... Uh, Remember, there's a little jingle in my head because I, when I was a kid, I watched way more TV than I should, than any kid ever should. But uh, the O Cedar Angler, anybody ever heard of that? It was a broom, and it, um, the little jingle was the O Cedar makes your life easier because it had a little angle so uh, that you could go underneath the mop board where the cupboards are. So you ladies are probably surprised I know about that. Because for years, I just I thought that was a place to hide crumbs. <laughs> but the old cedar angler could get under there and get that. But you didn't have the right broom until you had the old cedar angler. And in the city of Colossae, there were some false teachers that were coming in and saying, you don't have fullness unless you have this. You don't have fullness unless you have that. You have, have to add this to your life and that to your life. And I wonder if we went around the room today and we could say, what, what would it look like to have a full life? What is it you're pursuing right now that you're missing out that you think is going to add to your life and make your life full? And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I've been captivated since I was a young man and I first met Jesus. What in the world did he mean? What does he mean that he came that we might have life and have it to the full? Because if it's a true statement, if he's really offering that, I don't want to settle for anything less. But my bent on laziness and my bent on uh, taking things for granted, I find myself oftentimes settling for far less than what Scripture would call me to, what Jesus would call me to. And so when Colossians talks about fullness again, and it talks about the idea um, that there's fullness is in Christ, in a relationship with Him, knowing um, who He is and what He has accomplished. Because Scripture sees that nothing is really full. Nothing is really mature. Nothing is really complete. Nothing has reached its potential until it serves the purpose for which it was created. 
That's fullness. Serving the purpose for which it was, or you are, or I am created. Anything short of that would not be fullness. And so when he says things in, Paul says things to the Colossians like, um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything is shadows, but reality is found in Christ. He's the all in all. So when we in a right relationship with him, he'll continue to call us up and bring us into fullness. And so he's praying for these Colossians, and we're going to read this prayer. So if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. <clears throat> we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints the faith and love that spring for the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And then he says in verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So he's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God. And then there's five points, five or six points that follow if you were going to make a simple outline. It said, the prayer is that they may, that they may, number one, live a life worthy, that they may, number two, bear fruit in every good work. Number three, that they may continue to be growing in the knowledge of God. And number four, that they may be strengthened with all power. And that they would have, five would be great endurance and patience. And number six would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And so when he starts out the prayer and he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for God and asking him to fill you. That word fill is the same idea of complete, mature, built up. It's the idea that in the NIV that it uses the word perfect in uh, chapter 1, verse 28, where he says, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. They're talking about built up. They're talking about complete. They're talking about full. So that whoever you are, wherever you are in your life, you would be living according to how God designed you to live. That would be a full life. That would include all kinds of things, whether you're um, a teacher to a lawyer, a doctor, a farmer, an electrician, Whatever you do, if you're living in a way and according to what you've been designed to do and live, that would make a full life. It isn't like, oh, you have to be this particular 
occupation, that will give you a full life. Maybe. Maybe it'll be the worst thing you could possibly venture into if God's not part of it. And if you're not seeking his will in it. But so he's praying for the Colossians that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. First and foremost, that we would seek, what does God have for me? You'd have to settle the question, if you haven't already, is there a God? And if there's a God, which God? And is he a good God? But if you settle that, when you settle that question, and then you say, okay, God, since you've designed me, you created me, you gave me these gifts and the talents and the skill, what do you have for me? Be filled with the knowledge of that will, his will. And so um, the first thing he says is that you would live a life worthy. Now I'm going to step out on a limb here a little bit because when since I've been reading this months ago, I've just been rocked by this idea. And I've talked with several of you, and I'm still calling mentors and saying, what in the world could this possibly mean, live a life worthy? Because you could take that really wrongly, and you could say, I have to work as hard as I possibly can so that God will accept me so that I can be worthy of his love. How are you going to do that? How, I mean, think about your own child. If they were every day were trying to work and earn and get to themselves a place that they were worthy of your love and worthy of your acceptance. So there's this idea of being worthy. If you're breathing, you've been created in the image of God, and your worth doesn't depend on you. It depends on him and his work on the cross, his finished work. But there is a strong, heavy-handed idea that the fact that there is a life to be lived that is worthy. And so I, I'm open to being challenged and questioned and educated on this very strongly because I'm, I'm, this has gripped me because I want to ask myself, if, if Paul is praying for these Colossians that they would live a life worthy and each of the things that follow, somehow bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened in his might, having great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, somehow is living a life of fullness and living a life that's worthy. So we're going to talk about those things. Bearing fruit in every good work. Wow, that's a heavy task. But we don't want to assume that this is something we can do without God, without him enabling us. If we assume that the Christian life can be lived without Christ, just in our strength, just in our energy, just according to our will, then there would be no need and no purpose for God except to pat you on your head and help you make sure you feel good about yourself. But if the Christian life can't be lived, we're talking about a life of sacrifice and love that cannot be lived apart from God's empowering and God's strength. That's the full life. So this word worthy, it, it has the root meaning of balancing the scales. So, which, so that what's on one side of the scale should equal the other side. That's worthy. And it was interesting because what popped into my mind right away 
was in Daniel chapter 5, where the writing came on the wall, and Daniel came in to interpret it, and Belshazzar was the king at that time, and he was throwing this party, and basically it was a party to mock God. He was using the chalices and the things from the temple to have his party, and the writing on the wall said, you've been found in the balance, or you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. So his life was weighed in the balance and found wanting because he was living a life that was not worthy. He was mocking God in his life. He was mocking God with his authority, mocking God with his talent, mocking God with the gifts and skills and position that God gave him. And so the writing on the wall, you've been found, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. So this idea of worthy, that the scales would be equal like a person's wage. You work eight hours a day, you get paid a certain wage, there should be some comparableness of that. So the word came to be applied to anything that was expected to correspond to something, like a person's wage. And the Christian who lives a life in a worthy manner of the Lord, live a life worthy, is to live daily in a correspondent way to his high position as being adopted into the family of God. That when you put your faith in Christ, that he purchases you by his shed blood, and his shed blood covers your sin, and you've been given new life in Christ. What's that worth? What's new life in Christ worth? Well, it's to live a life worthy. And we pray in or, this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So you have to, I want to walk a tightrope here and say, there's a calling to which he's called us, but in no way do I want to be misunderstood and say that you have to act and live in a certain way until God approves you. Like you made the cut. But at the same sense, I want to call every young person person and say, listen, there is a worthy way to live. There's a worthy conduct. There's a worthy manner. There's a worthy way to speak. And as a Christian living in this world today, just like in that day, Paul was telling them and calling them that they would live in a way that would please the Lord, in a way that would be recognized as honorable. And boy, what a privilege. I'm so grateful and thankful to be called to live a life worthy. That I'm called up out of my selfishness, out of my depravity, into the life of a king's child. It's the best way to honor someone, to call them up. To say, listen, you could be and you should be and you have the opportunity to live a life worthy. And what would that look like? We'll just unpack that a little bit. Think about it. As sinners, we deserve the penalty for sin. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's wrath. In Christ, we're offered redemption. We're offered love through his son. How ought we to conduct ourselves? How ought we to conduct ourselves as a result of the life we've been given? Life in its various 
circumstances and stages, your life, my life, how is that life to be lived so that it's a life that is a life that would be worthy, that would balance the scales? Basically, it's a life of appreciation for the life and the living that works itself out in the attitudes and motives of day-to-day life. Right? Living a life worthy is living out in day-to-day in attitudes and actions that point to God. From simple things like taking your plate across after a meal to being still in the presence of the Holy One. A certain standard by which we treat people. And so the word worthy, just looked it up. It's deserving. Number one definition was deserving. And then possessing worth or excellence of qualities. So your life points to what you consider worthy. And the way you do what you do also points to whether you think it's worth a little bit of attention, a lot of attention, or no intention. And unworthy is not deserving. It's not suitable. Worthy is suitable. What's suitable? What's not suitable for a situation? And in my vernacular, I guess, I just wrote this statement. A haphazard, careless, take things for granted and take people for granted, lollygagging, sloppy way to live would be unworthy of the value of life and the one who gave his life for us. So as Paul's thinking about living a life worthy, he's thinking about the one who died to set them free. He's thinking about the one who rescued them from the dominion of darkness and brought them into the dominion of his son. That's what it says in verse 13. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. I went through uh, the New Testament just real briefly, and I found uh, different um, ways that the different authors, mostly Paul, used this word worthy. And I'm just going to quickly go through because we don't have time to go look at each one. But in Romans 16, Paul was sending final greetings to the family, and he said, Receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. That meant something in, the, in a way worthy of the saints. It meant don't re- disrespect her. Honor her in a way that would be worthy of the saints. The blood-bought saints, the saints who've been purchased by God. Ephesians chapter 4, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then Colossians 1.10, in order that you may live a life worthy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live life worthy of God. 2 Thessalonians, I'm paraphrasing. He talks about them growing in their faith, growing in love, persevering through trials. Those are evidence that you are going to be counted worthy because it's a response of your relationship with God. And then in, in 2 Thessalonians, oh, 1 Timothy, sorry. 1 Timothy said deacons are to be men worthy, worthy of respect, 
worthy of setting example. It also says that the deacons' wives are to be women worthy of respect. In 1 Timothy, it talks about the elders who direct the church well are to be worthy of double honor. 1 Timothy 6 says those who are slaves should consider their masters worthy of respect. Titus 2, teach the older men to be worthy of respect. So if Scripture sees that nothing is really complete, nothing is really full, until it serves the purpose for which it was designed, and Paul prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God, that they may live a life worthy. That's something of self-examination against the standard of Scripture. That we look at Scripture and say, this is what Scripture is calling me to. How am I living? Oh, in this particular situation, I'm not living very worthy. I thought of two quick, simple illustrations. They may be helpful. They may not be helpful. But I was doing a... uh, doing some work in town, and I'm not a taper, okay? Taping is when you spread the mud on the sheetrock, but I love to do it, and sometimes, sometimes it's acceptable. But I invited a friend of mine who's a professional. He's been doing it for 30 years, and I, had, I, I got to a point where I needed a little help, so he came in. He was very gracious, and he said, and he showed me, he said, and this is how you do the corner, Chris. And then I thought, okay, he's helping me understand that he, his standard of weighing the balance was up here. And interesting, when my wife was sick at home, I was trying to care for her, okay? Then uh, our neighbor stopped by, and she, and she walked in and saw how Kathy was positioned in the room. And she said, I think we can help out here a little bit. So propped up all these pillows, and I come around the corner, and I'm like going, wow, why didn't I think of that? Well, again, the balance. And so the point here, he's saying live a life worthy. And that life would be, a life worthy of the Lord would be bearing fruit in every good work. It would be growing in the knowledge of God. It would be being strengthened in his might and would produce endurance and patience and it's joyfully giving thanks. So the, uh, the idea of fullness, the idea of living a life worthy of the Lord, he is praying for them that this would be part of their daily life, that they would actually fulfill the purpose for which God designed them. You were designed not to just slug through life haphazardly, and boy, we need people to call us up today, right? Call us up to a different type of living. Call us up to a life worthy of the Lord. And so this is his prayer. Is it worthy of the Lord? Not that, and again, my mind immediately goes back to Chris. Make sure you're not preaching and teaching that they have to somehow, by their works, earn the favor of God. How could you? How could you earn the favor of a perfect God? But then in the same sentence, he says, living life worthy, pleasing the Lord in every manner. So it seems to me there's a kind of a tightrope walk here where we can call each other. We can urge each other. We can rebuke each other and say, listen, 
you can do better? Is that your best? I want to call the best out of you. It seems like God calling us. I want your best. Not because then I can say, oh, now you made it. But I want your best because that's the best for you too. That's the best for you is to have people in your life that will come along and say, are you giving your best or are you slugging along just getting by? That's not living. That can't be living. I refuse to believe that's living. When Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I'm thinking he's talking about living passionately and pouring it out and growing and bearing fruit like it says there. So as I kept reading and rereading, fill you with the knowledge of God. Well, do you, are you ever filled with all the knowledge of God? It says right now we see dimly. So we'll continue to pursue and we'll continue to grow. This side of heaven, we're not going to arrive. This side of heaven, we're going to continue to pursue to grow. Growing in the knowledge of God. That's the knowledge of who He is and growing in the knowledge of His will. What He has prepared for you. What He has uh, laid out for you in your journey. So growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened. Because if we're going to walk this walk, if we're going to live a full life, we need His strength. We'll run out. Unless we're living a really puny life. We should run out daily, pouring ourselves out, and then asking God, fill us, Lord, fill us. Fill us with your energy. Fill us with your strength. Didn't he say that himself? He said, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature or full or perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so mightily works in me. That's the, how he ends chapter 1 before he goes into his next point. But talking about praying. So bearing fruit in every good work. We touched on it last week. Just the fact that whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord with all your heart. So you have the privilege and I have the privilege every day to be checked in our doing. If you become... Like me, we slide back into the lowest common denominator, the easiest place. If you're just coasting in life, suck it up. If you're just coasting in life, there's a whole life that he says, fill you with the knowledge of God, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in God, growing and being strengthened, which produces endurance because you're going to need it. Because you know what? Tomorrow's another day and another day and another day and another day. Another trial, another hurdle, another pothole, another difficulty. Strengthened in God to go through those things. And I love how he caps it off, at least in this part. This is the first of four times he talks about thankfulness. When he says, joyfully giving thanks. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So each of these things are a part of fullness. Each of these things are a part of living a life worthy. Bearing fruit in every good work. So we live in fullness, basically, as we serve the purpose for which you're, we are designed. 
by the Creator. He talks a lot about knowledge too because that was part of the, the false teaching that was coming in. You have to have a certain degree of knowledge. You have to know this aspect or that aspect. Well, knowledge that's disconnected with how to get up underneath people, how to get underneath people to lift them up, to build them up, to serve them, to love them. So knowledge that's disconnected from that is the knowledge that just puffs up, not the knowledge that builds up, not the love that builds up. So growing in the knowledge of God isn't just learning some facts about this being in space or this being that fills this room. It's about applying your knowledge of the one who gave his life for you and how you can lay down your life for others how you can daily live full by being free from worrying about yourself because you're giving your life away in order to serve others. And you don't have to worry about fullness because it says all the fullness is in Christ and you have been given fullness in Him. So I would invite us and encourage us, use this prayer this week in your daily quiet time in the morning, or where, whenever you have your time, you set aside time for God, and you would say, Lord, I pray that I would live a life worthy, that I could bear fruit in every good work, that I could grow in the knowledge of you, that you would give me strength according to your glorious might, so that I might have endurance and patience, and that I continually, joyfully, giving thanks to the Father. So a couple last thoughts as I wrap it up. Now I know why I wrote these things, and I said them at the beginning, but they didn't mean much. But they may mean a little more now. Living a life worthy is how we ought to conduct ourselves as a result of being given life. Being given life in its various circumstances and stages. There's different stages you go through. Are you living a joyful life and a life that's bearing through fruit wherever you're at in the journey right now? If not, pray for fullness. Pray that you would understand God's will better. So basically, it's a, a full life is a life that's lived in appreciation in response to what he has done for us for who he is and what he has done. Once a month at the end of our I I mean at the end of our service, we take time to share the Lord's table together. And so as we do that this morning again, uh the folks that are going to help with the passing out the bread and the cup, they'll come forward and they'll pass it out to everybody together. This isn't for us to participate in unless we're just acknowledging that we are in a relationship with God. It's not a ceremony of uh, something that is less than significant in a relationship with the living God. You're expressing your gratitude to him. You're expressing your participation with him, your willingness to um, say, basically, I'm in. 
And that's between you and the Lord. That that because uh, he gathered with his disciples at the Last Supper, and it says that they went around the room. There was one that wasn't in, and when the was passed to him, he got up and quickly left the room. Nobody needs to leave the room, but in your heart, if you're not ready, if you're not there yet in your walk with God, then you're just participating. Scripture actually says then you're going to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. We don't want you to participate in something you're not even aware of.